you're not obligated to believe everyone that says that they are a preacher or a teacher of the gospel. There are tests that you can use to determine who is real and who's not. God expects us to use our heads and our hearts. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area. We are looking to start small groups. We want to talk about spiritual matters and look at the Bible together to see what the Bible says about how we should live and what God thinks about how we should live. We're trying to be disciples ourselves, and we are trying to make disciples. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video content, for teaching and preaching. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. Please also look for God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to have a Bible study, you want to pray with somebody, you want to talk to somebody, then please contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last week we were talking about uh, or looking into 1 John chapter 3. And here we're moving on to the next chapter in John's gospel. And I've said it every time that we've done this, but we need to understand the context. We need to understand about the Gnostics. Uh, That is who John is warning the church about in their teachings. And I would just ask that you would go back uh, on the podcast. You can find the first one in the series on 1 John. And I I gave a little bit more in-depth understanding of who the Gnostics were. But they essentially believed that the human body in and of itself, material, was sinful, so we couldn't help but sin in thought, word, and deed every day of our life. And so therefore, uh, they have this special knowledge. They didn't need salvation. They didn't need this Jesus. He was just a hologram, essentially. So that helps us as we just continue to look through this book. And I want to start here in uh, 1 John, the fourth chapter, and the first verse. We're just going to start right off here. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So first, you see, he says, he addresses them as beloved because they're his children. He's poured into them. He has helped them to understand the Christian faith, and he looks at them tenderly like a father would to the children. So he says, Beloved, he loves these people. Believe not every spirit. I just want to pause for a minute. Believe. Does that just mean a mental assent? No, the word believe in the Bible is far more than just a mental assent. Believe means faith. Believe means obedience. So my heart chooses to believe God and it affects the way that I live. It affects what I do and I don't do. So he said, beloved, believe not every spirit. So not only don't just listen to what they, what they say, 
but don't do what that would lead to if you were to believe what they say. And he says, beloved, believe not every spirit. Is he just talking about floating spirits? Well, there are floating spirits, or there are spirits that are trying to agitate all of humanity in this existence, and there are wicked spirits trying to get us to believe wicked things and to do wicked things. But specifically in this verse, he's talking about all those that claim to be from the Spirit of God. And now there were those in, in, in the day of what we were talking about here in the early church, there were those that said, well, I'm of God, and then they had a word to speak, and they'd speak it, and uh, apparently we were supposed to listen to them, or the early church was supposed to listen to them. John's telling them, listen, don't believe every spirit that comes to you. Don't believe everybody that says they're from God, and they've got a word to tell you, and now you've got to do something about it. Rather, <clears throat> and in those days, it was Gnostics uh, that were there. There were other groups and sects that were there uh, that he would have warned them about but they claim to be sent by God himself. But rather than believing every spirit, he gives a directive. He says that they are to try the spirits. In other words, they are to test the spirits. How are they to test the spirits? By what standard are they supposed to test the spirits? Are they supposed to test these people that say they're from God? Well, you and I, as seekers after truth, we are to scrutinize people's teaching and actions by the simple teachings of the Bible. And I say simple because sometimes people would like to have you think that the Bible is so complicated to understand that you can't understand it simply by asking God to help you what is written on this page to understand it and how to live it out. But you need somebody to explain the complexities of the Bible. Now, there is benefit of us sitting down and listening to somebody who knows the scriptures to expound and help us to understand them. But God has written it in such a way that any hungry heart can understand what they need to know to be saved. We're to scrutinize those people that claim that they're of God. We're to scrutinize what they teach. We're to scrutinize their actions by the simple teachings of the Bible. So don't just believe them because they declare that they are sent from God. This standard is a revealed truth. God has given us a revealed truth in the Bible. It's not just, well, what do you think or what do you think? God's given us the truth. So don't just believe them because they declare that they're sent from God. Most people that boldly declare that they're sent from God are not sent from God. And so he says to try every spirit, see whether they are from God. So if they're from God, then yours and my responsibility is to listen to them and receive from them. If they're not from God, then you and I should leave them alone and not listen to them or follow their directions. Why is this so important? We can think about the previous chapter. It spoke about that there is going to be an Antichrist coming, but he said, even now there are many Antichrists. And there are wicked spirits that are trying to influence the way people think and what they do, and, ascent, and also trying to influence these people who are not so much interested in what the Bible has to say, but they're more interested in building up their name or a following for themselves, and they're the ones that have to watch out for the devil using them as his own pawns. So there are many antichrists. The spirit of antichrist is just rampant throughout our day and throughout this culture. There are many of them, and he warned us about that in the previous chapter. And you might say, well, why are there so many false prophets? Why? What's the point in this? Because of the influence of the devil and demonic spirits. 
there is a war going on that you and I don't see with our eyes, and oftentimes a lot of people don't even realize it, but there is a huge war between good and evil that is going on in the spiritual realms, fighting over the souls of men. Now, it's not only just that the, the false prophets are um, influenced by these devils and whatever, they're influenced by their own wicked heart, their own pride. They want position. They want power. So they speak these things, and then people listen to them. They end up having a following. They give them money. They give them a platform to speak, and they're, they're just drunk with power. We need to watch out for these people. The second verse. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So he said, hereby know ye the spirit of God. In other words, here's a sure test to know what is of the spirit of God. And it says in the second part of this verse that every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So if, if somebody's confessing that Christ is come in the flesh, that's a good starting point. But you might say, that's like the fundamental teachings of of the scripture. Jesus came in the flesh. You're like, what does that have any practical value to me? Well, if you don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh and that the material body is sinful, there's also this other thing that happens. It's it's more than just a mental ascent. This is a very practical thing that we need to watch out for. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then that would validate the Gnostics' teaching that our skin and bones. Are inherently evil, this human body that we have. And another offshoot of that belief is that because we live in the skin and bones, we cannot live holy and without sin so long as we are alive on this earth. And there are many that teach this and destroy the whole message and power of the gospel in these days. We need to watch out for people that say you can't live holy or righteous in this life because that is an offshoot of this teaching that John's trying to warn us about. The third verse reads, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So here, this was already spoken, as I mentioned in a previous uh, chapter here in the book of First John. But here you have the origin of this teaching and the spirit that's behind it. The origin of it is Antichrist. It's the devil himself is behind these teachings. There is a literal antichrist that the Bible talks about that will happen in the last days. He'll be manifested. We'll see this antichrist, this figure, this person. But there's also the spirit of antichrist pervading our earthly existence until the time when that literal antichrist will be manifest to all. And he says that even now, is it already in the world? That makes sense because Satan is the god of this world. So it would make sense that there's already a spirit of Antichrist and opposition against Jesus Christ because the devil himself hates Christ and he is the God of this world. Verse 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So to the true believers, the message is, you have already won this battle. Don't be deceived and do not be afraid. Why? Why shouldn't I be afraid? Well, let's look at the last part of the verse. He said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So he that is in you is Christ. And Christ is said in Isaiah, he's the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Now, the one that's in the world is the devil. And he says, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. 
The one that's in the world, Satan, he's a created angel. He is not as powerful as God. He rebelled against God. He got kicked out of heaven. He's not all powerful. He's not all knowing. And he's not everywhere present like God is. He's a defeated foe. So he said, greater is he that is in you, that is Christ, than he that's in the world. So don't be afraid, believer. You don't have to cave to the pressure of believe these teachings and these teachings. Follow God. Verse 5. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Who's this they that he's talking about? The false prophets. They're of the world, and they are self-professed prophets. That's why they teach things that appeal to the evil, sinful desires within us, because they're of the world. They haven't had that radical transformation in heart. They are preaching so-called Christ for different reasons than the pure truth. This is why many are comfortable in these false prophets' presences, in their presence, or under their teaching, or or part of their ministry. This is largely the reason for many megachurches. Just for some examples, and I'm, I'm not doing this just to throw people under the rug, but this helps us to understand how this applies to our day. But people like Joel Olstein and Benny Hinn, they're soft on sin. They're soft on holiness. They preach the things that make people feel good without telling them what the issues of life are, what the problems of their own heart is, and what the salvation of God really is. These people are more like swindlers, and the Bible has much to say about them. In the book of Jude, it says they're wells without water, plucked up by the roots. The world hears and tolerates these kind of so-called prophets because they are of the world themselves. Listening to them and living out their teachings is like trying to shave with a banana. That sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly what it's like. There is little to no conviction or condemnation of sin in what they teach, and the Bible has a lot to say about sin, the effects of sin, and the salvation of God and God's hatred towards sin. Verse 6, so they are of the world, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we are of God. He's speaking of the apostles. So here's the false prophets he was speaking of before, but we're of God, the apostles. And he said, if you know God, those that keep God's commandments, as this book has already talked to us about, those that love other true Christians, those that love their fellow humans, you will hear those that preach and teach the truth and you will shun the smooth talkers. But if you're not of God, You're of those that can't stomach the truth. The truth is sin-killing, and those that are not of God will not listen to those that teach and live the truth. Rather, those people oftentimes persecute those that love and follow the truth. So here we find the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those that do not know God, they love the world and they're in error. Those that do love God have victory over the world and they are of the spirit of truth. The seventh verse, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So that's the summation of the commandments. Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. So love God and love people. If you love according to what the Bible reveals true love is, then this verse tells us you've been born again. This love that, that is prescribed here or that is talked about here is impossible without the radical change that comes from being born again. The only time 
that someone truly knows God is when they have been born again. And the only ones that have truly been born again are these, are the ones that say that love God and that love people, that love God's truth, keep his commandments, as this, uh, as this book has been teaching us throughout this time. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Picking up in verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. This is pretty clear cut. God is love. Most of the time, when you hear people say, well, God is love, it's an excuse for sin. The love of God, however, frees us from sin and from sinning. The love of God is both goodness and severity balanced out. The love of God isn't just this namby-pamby idea, as most people would like us to say. God's love is, is wonderful, and he loves better than anyone that ever could love. But here, we need to understand what God's love is according to the scripture and not make it something that it isn't. Verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So how do I know God loves me, and how, and how do I know that God loves this evil world? Well. Uh, he said that he sent Christ. And here's some other things that we need to understand. When you and I have turned our back against God and we've shaked our, shaken our, shaked our rebel fists in his face, we have made a direct assault on the God, but it hasn't just affected us, it's affected everyone else. What does my influence do for everyone else? So not only is he concerned for my own soul, but he's concerned about every other soul. If he doesn't do something about my sin, people will be emboldened to do that which is evil and wrong. So he's concerned with justice in a public sense for everyone else, because if he ignores sin, then people will do that which is wrong without fear of penalty. So he sent Christ so that he could rightfully pardon us, forgive us, exercise mercy to us, and still uphold the strength of the law. So he doesn't only bring forgiveness for the sins that we've done, but he also gives us new life so that we can live out what he's shown us. So we are told that therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation is not a common word, but true love is that God took the first step while we were unlovable. We were rebels against God, and yet he took the first step because he did love us. Propitiation, that means he sent, us to, he sent Christ to be an atonement for us. He sent Christ to appease the wrath of God that was on us for our disobedience, and Jesus was our substitute and took our place. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So we should have this kind of of heart and life with others, just like Christ had to us. 
We need to have this kind of love towards other believers. We need to have this kind of love towards sinners. And you may say, well, why? Well, just think about it. If when you become a Christian, when you are born again, Christ then begins to dwell in your heart and he dwells within, how can I live any other way than the way Jesus lived when he walked the earth? So if Jesus loved people in this way and he loved me to take the first step, then he lives in us and through us. We should be loving people the same way. Verse 12, no man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Though we've not seen God with our human eyes, God is still present and experienced right now. That's what this verse is telling us. How is he experienced? How is he present with us right now? Well, his indwelling, if you've been born again, he dwells within the heart and his love completed and perfected in us. He gives us new and pure and right motives and he then helps us that we then live right. Our actions are clean and right. So God is present by his indwelling and by the change that he does inside of our heart. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. So we can assure ourselves of personal reality with God. We have the assurance of the witness of our own spirit and the witness of God's own spirit because we continually dwell in him according to this verse and because he continually dwells in us. It's mutual. Uh, we love him and obey him. That's how we dwell in him. And then he dwells in us. He loves us and loves through us. He stirs us up to obedience and empowers us. He gives divine light to our minds and to our hearts for all of life's circumstances. And then uh, I just want to say that you should look for God's Resistance podcast on any of your favorite podcasting platform and listen to episode 214, where I deal with the witness of the Spirit for a more in-depth teaching than what I'm able to give here. Moving on to verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So here John says, we've seen. The apostles were literally eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ himself as Jesus was here on this earth. And then he says, we have both seen and do testify. So they saw Christ, but they didn't stop there. They told people about it. They testified. They witnessed to the truth. They then, uh, Jesus was in fact who he said he was. This is what they're witnessing of. He did teach these things that we are now telling you, say the apostles. He did die and rise again on the third day. He sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and changed people's lives and filled them with the Spirit. He died for all to be saved and filled with the Spirit. That is what the apostles had seen, and that is what they testify, which is so opposed to what the Gnostics and the false teachers were teaching in that time, and still yet opposed to a whole lot that is being taught in our present day. Verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. So the Gnostics were opposed to this, that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was God. True Christians believe and know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But there are still modern-day Gnostics. There's still the dregs of it inside of so-called religion. Some of the groups that you should watch out for are Christian Science, Mormons, and Jehovah Witness. They deny that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God 
manifest in the flesh. They might say that he is the son of God, but they would not go so far as to say that Jesus is God. And we need to be careful there. Those that are truly saved know that Jesus is God and know that he's the son of God. He is the only begotten son of God. It's not that he never was and suddenly was born. He was begotten of God. He always was, but he was begotten and manifested to us because we're so ignorant. We couldn't even understand who God was except God showed us through his own son in flesh and blood. There is no other substitute or equal for Jesus Christ. And so here we find that we dwell in God and he dwells in us, a mutual dwelling. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. So we need to believe the truth. And those that uh, believe the truth have an exper- a personal experience of the truth. Jesus said in John seven seventeen, if any man will do his will, that is God's will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, when we see what God says and we believe it enough to obey it and to walk in the light of it, then we'll know if it's false or if it's true by personal experience. We can know in our minds as we look through uh, what God has taught us in the scriptures and be convinced there, but we can have a further personal experiential knowledge as we then obey that truth that we consent to with our mind, and then we know God. We know God much more so than somebody who just knows about God. We have a living personal experience with him. Verse 17, here is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So how do you know if your love is made perfect? Well, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, which we are all going towards, either if he comes back first or we die first, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we have perfect love, our love's been made perfect, we'll have boldness on that day. We're not going to be ashamed when we see him. We're going to hold our head up high. We're going to have boldness to approach the throne of God. And how can we do that? Because we've already been transformed into his likeness in our heart and actions through his saving power while we were living on earth. So when we get there, we're not going to be surprised. We know him. We know what he's done inside of our hearts. We've been walking with him and we've been made like him. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So there's no fear in love. And this is not talking against a natural fear, like the fear of getting hurt or whatever. That is, that is perfectly normal. That keeps us from harm. But we have no fear of judgment. When our love is made perfect, we have no more fear of judgment. But in the, if we have a fear of judgment, this verse tells us it torments us. It torments the mind. It torments the heart. And if you have that tormenting fear, then you've not been saved. You've not been filled with God's spirit. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. So your love for God is not something you should boast about. Your love for God is because of all that he's done to woo you and to save your hellbound soul. We love him because he took the first step and followed us unrelentingly because he loved us and he wanted us to be saved. Verse 20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? 
if I can truly love someone, I can see how I can't see how in the world do I think that I can love somebody that I, I can't see. You're a pretender if you hate other believers. This verse says you're a liar if you cannot love the people you can see and say that you love God. The last verse of this chapter says, And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. If you really love God, you will love other Christians and other people because every soul is made in the image of God himself. Are you following true messengers of God, or have you listened to some people that have led you astray? If you have found that you're in that place, I hope that this has helped you, and here's your next step. Call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I want you to introduce yourself to me. I want you to set up a time that you and I can meet together and take the next step and talk about these spiritual things. I want to coach and help you further to walk with God. Make sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. There's more teaching, preaching to help you on your journey there. You can connect with others that are going through the same journey. And I want you to tell your friends about this broadcast at 9 a.m. every Sunday on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. And tell them about the social media accounts as well. Join the resistance. God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons License. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.